0: Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Wednesday evening Bible studies here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles, and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Coping with Crisis And this is going to be part two of our series on anger, and we're going to be looking at the root causes of anger and where it comes from, how it's buried deep in the soul many times. And last week, we talked about anger as far as it being centered on injustice, that's where really a lot of anger comes from, whether that's real or perceived, and perceived could be true or not. And so some people have anger over perceived injustices and some people have anger over real injustices. So, but both cause anger. And anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about the root of all of this. Where does this come from? Um, uh, today's episode. But again, we put this, these episodes together. This is kind of a online counseling type of, of uh, series it's not necessarily you know exegeting a text it's not necessarily talking about uh, current events it's talking about issues that people deal with and how to handle them from a biblical perspective it would be like the same thing if you sat down with me and we had a counseling session and you came to me and said i have a problem with anger so this is what this series is about so we we did it in reaction to obviously the coronavirus crisis that people were having to deal with. But the principles are the same. No matter what problem or crisis you're handling, the biblical principles apply to everything. And so that's kind of what we're doing here. So anger was incited by us being shut down, our economy shut down by this coronavirus. And people lost people in all of this. And so it incited a lot of anger in them. And and a lot of people are now angry, rightfully so. towards governors who are very draconian, they're angry about having their rights taken away. And and so, you know, there's a lot of anger and a lot of tension going on in a lot of folks. But anyway, we want to we wanna go to the root of it because, yes, it's okay to be angry. And it says, be angry and not sin in the scripture. So there's times where you have the right to be angry, and that's okay. Anger is actually a gift from God. That gives you the fuel to do something to protect, to preserve, um, to stop injustice or whatnot. So it's actually a good uh, motivator in getting you to stop injustice. But when you see anger taking control of an individual, and and maybe maybe you um, maybe it's yourself to where. Something just sets you off and instead of being at level one or two, you go to the nth degree and you don't know why, but it just sets you off to where you get almost out of control. Well, that, that's, that's something inside of you. That's more than just the, the frustration or irritation that's going on around you currently. And what you're looking for is patterns of this. The patterns in your life will tell you, you know, that, wait a second, you are struggling with anger. This is not just you being angry at, uh, you know, some globalist uh, agenda or something like that or, you know, someone cut you off in the road. There's something underlying that's causing kind of a, uh, like a, a fiery coal inside of you that's always lit. And all someone has to do is touch it and throw gasoline on it by triggering you, and then you go you go crazy. You lose it. That's what we're talking about. Another caveat I want to make before we go into this is that when you see anger from yourself or a person all of a sudden, and it's not part of the normal pattern of how they behave, uh, you might want to take a step back and realize maybe there's something else causing it that's you know, not necessarily spiritually related or uh, coming from injustice and them being angry about it, it could mean that they're on drugs or they have clinical depression or they have some form of mental illness or they're taking certain medications or they've had a head injury or their hormones are out of whack or they have an illness or they have some type of, you know, uh, stress on them that's out of the norm. Those when you see anger coming from those that's not what we're talking about that's not a habitual pattern that's something from the outside affecting them and 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 it's causing an unusual frustration anger whatnot that's that's not the problem because when those things go away the problem of anger goes away too so we're talking more of a pattern of a life that's caused typically by you know some type of trauma injustice uh emotional physical whatever spiritual trauma that's set up in the person anyway that kind of anger has deep roots in the soul Uh, the writer of hebrews will talk about having a root of bitterness inside you and anyway last time again just as a reminder we talked about destructive behaviors that anger creates in us like unforgiveness is a big hallmark of it not being honest with ourselves. People just say, I'm not angry, I'm not angry, I'm not angry. And they're really not being honest with themselves. They are angry. And they're angry over something, but they won't identify it. So they rationalize it, minimize it, or deny it. They become critical of others. They lash out or explode at people. They hurt the ones they love, typically. They hurt innocent bystanders, so to speak. And they obviously lose fellowship with the Lord and others because of their anger. And so there's a lot of consequences that come from having this deep-seated anger. And also last week we talked about that anger is triggered either by the things we do or or someone affecting us unjustly or someone that we love is being treated unjustly. So when we see that that becomes a major trigger, It sometimes can be related to someone, uh, obviously from the outside that's affecting us or our loved one. But typically like we talked about last week, we're usually triggered by people who are on the inside of our social network, like our friends and our family. And we feel that they've betrayed us when they treat us this way. We don't care if, you know, some of these politicians who are on the left do bad things to us. We don't like it, it angers us, but it doesn't hurt us as deeply as when someone who's on our inside circle does it to us, like a friend or a family member. That's when we really have a problem. And that's where the majority of pain comes from. When a family member or a friend does something wrong to us, why do we take it so personally? You don't take it personally when Nancy Pelosi or Gavin Newsom or you know Chuck Schumer does something politically against us. We don't take it personally, so it doesn't bother us that much. It's when someone we love or are supposed to love us and accept us and, and relate to us and love us unconditionally and care for us does something against us whether it's real or perceived okay that's where it's, it all starts happening in us and it ignites this out-of-control flame of anger well what happens what happens so where is the root at where where do these hurts and pains come from well the overarching idea is injustice okay got that and typically it's from loved ones okay so we got that under our belts okay So, let's get to the heart and the root of where this is centered on. First, when injustice happens to us by someone we love, our hearts get a stake driven through it. It's like someone stabbed you in your soul with a knife, and it went right to your heart. It is a very painful thing when someone we love betrays us. We, we want, obviously, unconditional love, and we need it, but when someone we love, and who is supposed to love us unconditionally, doesn't provide this either, either passively or aggressively doesn't provide it, we experience rejection instead of acceptance. That rejection, rather than acceptance, causes major anger. So the result is that we tend eventually to use this anger in life to try to scare people or manipulate people to get people to not reject us or abandon us. Okay? So for instance, you know, someone might, in, like in a marriage, threaten to leave them threaten to divorce them in order to scare them, so they use their anger as a threatening device to manipulate people or to scare them not to abandon them, not to reject them. And so that's when you know there's something deep down about your anger that centers in on rejection. So you got to think back into your past. Did you feel whether it's real or perceived, that your parents rejected you. If that's the case, then you're going to have a root of bitterness about that rejection. And so in your daily life, when someone triggers you by perceived or real rejection, currently, it ignites that fire in you. And you go back to where your arrested development happened in your life, of when you were rejected. Say you got rejected early on in your life. Say, I don't know, you're 12 years old or something like that. Your parents divorced and you felt that one of your parents um, rejected you or both of them rejected you. Well, it'll send you back to being 12 years old when someone currently rejects you. And that's where your anger is going to come from. It's going to come from an arrested development and, and, and an arrested emotional development because you've really never dealt with that you never really process that in a biblical way I'll talk more about that how to process this in a biblical way but I just want to point out the root of where a lot of our anger lies what's the truth though about this particular issue about rejection well the truth that you have to keep telling yourself is that we live in a fallen world and that the fall has affected everyone and everyone has a sin nature as you know even the people who love you have a sin nature and if that sin nature is not mastered that sin nature will control your loved one your family your friends because if they are not mature believers if they don't have the tools available to them because maybe they're not a believer uh, in order to handle you know life and manage life then they're inevitably going to hurt you because the sin nature hurts people the sin nature will will take that person to either attack you or fail to do what the person's duty is you can have it both ways passively or actively it's one of the two that's what the sin nature will do so neglect or punishment okay so how do I process that? Well, we should expect those that are around us to sin against us. That's normal to think that way. It's not normal to think no one's gonna sin against us, especially our loved ones. That's not normal to think like that. You should accept the reality that every person has a sin in nature and will hurt you at some point in their life. Okay, But the caveat is that when they do this to you, reject you or whatever perceived or real most of the time it's perceived rejection um, you then personalize it and you think well they're rejecting me because there's some flaw in me there's something I don't live up to there's something that I just can't do to get their approval and acceptance so I I fail and so there's something bad about me there's something messed up inside of me there's something wrong You may not even know what it is, but you just will say this to yourself in your subconscious. And you then personalize it. Well, they reject me because I'm I'm not smart enough. They reject me because I'm not pretty enough. They reject me because I'm not handsome enough. They reject me because I'm not, not athletic enough. They reject me because I don't have the right personality. They reject me because whatever, whatever. And the list goes on and on and on. That means you're personalizing it. But, how are you, you to view people's sin? Are you to personalize it when someone sins against you? Are you to sit there and say, they're sinning against me because something's something wrong with me? That's wrong. That's not biblical. The reason people sin against you is because they have a sin nature. It has nothing typically to do with you. Well, it might relate to you, but it has it, it, they're, they're attacking you or neglecting you because of their selfishness because of their unrighteousness, because of their issues, because of their um, perceived needs not being met or whatever. It has really nothing to do with you per se. You just become the scapegoat. You just are the innocent bystander that gets hit by the drunk driver. You're not the one in the car drunk. You're crossing the street. So you have to view people whether it's your parents, family, friends, loved ones, whatever, that if they rejected you, it wasn't because of you, it's because of their own sin. Maybe they like a certain personality type. Well, that's a sin because you're supposed to like all personality types per se. You're supposed to be able to adapt to all personality types. Or maybe they don't, they didn't like that you weren't athletic enough. Well, where does that standard come from the Bible? No. So they're using the wrong standard on you. So that's their own issue, right? Or maybe they say, well, you're not smart enough like your sister or your brother, you know, and your your brother or sister's like, you know, 4.0. Well, maybe God didn't gift you in that area, but you can do other things better than other people. And so what does the bit scripture say? It says somebody gave five talents, somebody gave two, and somebody gave one. At the end of the day, each of us have a different gift And we are not made in the same mold. And so for parents or whatever to expect you to fit into a standard or mold, you know, that that's wrong. You're created in the image of God and you're gifted a certain way according to your ability and you're unique and parents should do that. But if they didn't do it, that's on them. That's not on you. So again, It's whether the rejection was real, maybe they did reject you flat out for something you didn't live up to, or it's perceived it doesn't matter, that's wrong for you to interpret that 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 way. The Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. If that's true, then the only standard you need to be a part of or under the rubric of is the standard of the Messiah. We are to live according to the ways Messiah wants to live and use his standards to evaluate our life. And by the way, what, what is the standard that, that God uses uh, for the goal of our life? It's not that we become millionaires. It's not become we, we become successful. It's not because we invent something. It's not because of, uh, we're athletic or smart or talented or whatever. You know what the goal in life for us from God is? Be conformed to the image of Christ. the story period. That's it. That's the only standard you have to maintain is how are you doing in being an image bearer of the Messiah. That's it. That's the standard we go by. But yet most people, even Christians, live by an alternative standard set by their parents or their family of origin or something they set or a coach set or a teacher set or or society set or a culture set. And that's all wrong. But because they don't live up to the standard, they become angry and they feel rejected. And there is the problem right there where a lot of anger is centered in on. And so when anyone rejects them now, forget it, man. It's like throwing gasoline on that burning coal inside of them. The second thing I wanna bring to your attention where the root is about anger and injustice is that our God-given rights or our loved one's rights were violated by someone or stomped on by someone or bulldozed by someone. And this is where a lot of the bitterness and anger comes from. Again, it centers on an injustice, whether it's real or perceived, but we feel that our rights were violated or our loved one's rights were violated. Okay. So for instance, because we're made in the image of God and because the law of God is written on our hearts, we all have a sense of morality. We know what's right and wrong. We know what's fair and what isn't. We, we know what justice is and what injustice is because it's already inscribed on our hearts. We intuitively know this. We, we may not know all the standards of God, but we do know those these eternal uh, laws of God. Okay? So, what happens there? We feel as if somebody has done us wrong and they need to pay. Or they've done one of our family members wrong and they need to pay for doing that. Well, I can tell you what's going to result if that's the root. The result will be you will use anger to make people feel guilty or indebted to you for making you the victim. Since we feel that, that um, you know we're the victim in this, that makes them the oppressor. And therefore, this is a classic Marxic, Marxist te- technique that they do, victim versus oppressor, oppressed versus oppressed oppressor. And so we actually do this in our own personal lives. Okay, so someone did some injustice to you, whether it's real or perceived, or to your family member. Okay. Then I am going to play the victim for the rest of life and blame them for what they did to me and make them feel guilty, make them indebted to me, and I will use the guilt and and the feeling of indebted to me to manipulate them through my anger okay so sometimes anger is is you don't see the rage in there it's more passive aggressive this is more of the passive aggressive type to make people feel guilty that's anger actually or indebted to you okay and so when you see someone doing that or if you're doing it it means that um, you know this happened to you this is your root. this is what's going on inside of you so what's the truth about this area. The truth is first of all we have to figure out whether the rights we think are violated, we have to figure out if those rights stem from the Bible or if those are perceived rights we think we have. Okay? And those perceived rights don't necessarily come from the Bible. It's what we, it comes comes into our own framework of, of thinking about how life should be. So we've got to be very careful and you have to discern is this a real right from the Bible or is this one I made up? Okay. Second, understand that, that as a believer, we are called do losses. And a do loss is a bond slave to God, which means that in the ancient world slaves had no rights. Okay. If God allows, and you have to think through this theologically our rights to be violated then you have to understand what the truth is behind that there's no doubt many people have had their rights violated Okay, biblical rights you know growing up they might have been raped or molested or I mean that's a clear case of true rights being violated or they weren't given the nurturing by their parents or parents neglected them or abandoned them you know, every child deserves to be nurtured by, by parents, right? Okay, that's real. And then there's obviously perceived. Okay, but at the same time, if they are real, and something real did happen, no doubt about it, it's not something, of a figment of their imagination, why does God allow our rights to be violated by other people? You have to come to the center of that and understand theologically why that happens. Because if you go through life thinking that you're, you have your rights, which is true, but they can never be violated, then you're living in a fantasy world. It's not the world we live in. Because you must understand this. The liability of living in this world as a free creature with free will means that in that freedom will come bad things. Okay. God designed this world to give the best possible world available to have a love relationship with his creatures called humans. Okay. And to do that, you had to have a world where the possibility of sin or rejection exists. Otherwise, it wouldn't be free will. So the highest value is love, a love relationship with the Creator. In order to have a love relationship, you have to have freedom. Otherwise, you're just a robot. So God gives every human being free will to obey Him, not obey Him, to believe in Him, to not believe in Him. That's the essence of a true love relationship. You have to have freedom in every relationship. And so God doesn't stick a a gun to our head and say, love me. Okay, because that exists in this world, and because the world is designed like that, the liability is evil. The liability is sin, missing the mark. And hence, yes, you do have your rights, but because of the free free will of creatures that possess a sin nature they actually will violate your rights many times and hence that is why the issue of forgiveness is such a big deal you'll have your rights violated and what are you supposed to do seek vengeance no you are to forgive so God does allow our rights to be violated because of free will And that's the answer, the theological answer to that. There is no other deeper thing you can go to. Um, Why does he allow bad things to happen to good people, so to speak? Because of free will. Because of free will. That's the answer. And anyway, even bad people have free will, right? So if you understand that from a theological standpoint, then then you can accept the reality that we live in is that, yes, your rights will be violated your whole life. That's normal because of the world we live in. Now, in the future, it won't be, happen like that in heaven or the messianic kingdom. We won't have our rights violated. Everything will be just and fair and righteous. And, and so we don't have to worry about that. But in this world, you, you can't have that. There's no way you could have a free creature not be able to rebel and, and hurt his or his brother, or his mom, or dad, or, or his child, or whatever. So at the end of the day, the way we relate to God in all of this is that he is our master. He is the one who tells us what our rights are, not us. We don't make things up. He tells us what our rights are. And he is the one where everything has to pass through him. If he allowed The free will of these creatures to hurt you, then that's part of his plan. Again, not that he decreed it or said, I'm gonna do this to this person. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he allowed this to happen in your life as part of the free will of other creatures. But what God can do is he can turn it to your benefit. That's the idea. And that's you know uh, the Romans 8 principle. But anyway. I want you to show, see see an example from the apostle Paul about his rights, okay? And and he said this in Philippians chapter 4. It's a very famous passage, but he's talking about his rights. He's talking about how he's learned to not have rights and sometimes have them and and live in sometimes in, in a good state or live in a bad state. He said this in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned, in whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be abased, uh, and I know how to be how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now the idea is this: Paul lived in the Roman world; he had very little rights, as even as a Roman citizen. And he had less rights than you and I do here in America, no doubt about that. But Paul learned how to be content even when his rights were taken away. This is a prison epistle. He's writing this from prison. He had no rights in prison, right? And so he's learned to be abased, and he's learned to go without. He's learned to be hungry. And so all these rights we think we have, Paul was willing to give them up if the master Uh, you know, guided him eventually, or allowed him, I should say, to be arrested and put in prison. Paul's greatest work really was done in prison, with the prison epistles. But nonetheless, again, it's about not worrying so much about your rights, but just using whatever state you have for the master's benefit. So the mindset of a due loss is this they go strictly by what the master allows. If God allows something to come in your life, they say, your will, master. If God takes something away, he, the law says, your will, master. The doulos does not have a will of his own. He only obeys his master's will. That's the idea. And so at the end of the day, you can get mad about all your rights being violated, and some of them are legitimate, no doubt about it, but if you continue to center in on the injustice of your rights being violated, you will forever be stuck. Forever stuck. You have to approach that as a do loss and say, Lord, somehow this happened to me. You're going to make good out of this. I know you will because you said you, you, you would in Romans 8. And I have to trust you. I can't go back in time and change things. I can't right now enforce uh, a penalty on these people who violated me. It is what it is, and so I'm a do lost. I have actually no rights. I submit my rights to you, Father. That's how to approach that theologically. The third route that that a lot of people have is um, they have a plan for their lives and what they think should happen. And that plan gives them a sense of security, but then things happen in their life and their plans get disrupted by other people. Okay? That's usually how it goes. Or just by the fall in general. And basically, this causes a lot of anger in folks when their plans get disrupted. Um, and so, you know, currently, if they have this coal of fire in them about this particular area, when someone's actions like currently endangers what they have mapped out for their lives and their plans for maybe their children or whatnot, that, that they feel that their destiny and their plans, the destiny of their kids or their loved ones is in jeopardy. And they will fight over that. They will be so angry they will go on the rampage. Have you ever seen the these parents at these ball games and they're just going crazy over a bad call from an umpire or a bad you know something happens on the field that was unjust. Have you ever seen that? I mean I've been in the stands and people are just cussing at the umpires from the stands and and they can't control themselves. Why is that? Because they have a plan, whether that plan is for them or maybe their kid on the ball field, maybe in their mindset and their thinking. And a lot of parents are out of touch with, in reality, with their own kids. They have a 10-year-old playing in a little league game, but in the back of that parent's mind, his plan for that child is to be a major leaguer one day. And you say, I can't believe people would think like that. I can cuz I see it. They do think like that. They have a plan that their kid's going to be a professional football player at 10 years old or b- baseball player, basketball, golf or whatever and it's like delusions of grandeur, okay? But why? They have a plan. So when they have their kid get a bad call on them in whatever sport, they go crazy. Do you know why? Because someone is threatening the plan of success. Someone is getting in the way, whether it's the umpire, whether it's the coach, whatever, someone is stepping in the way of the plan for the child. And Again, it could be the parents' plan, living vicariously through the child. But I'm going to tell you this, this is a major problem of people's anger in the United States. At least this is I, I would call this a first world problem. So if you're in the first world, and you have the ability to dream big for your children or dream big for yourself. And and well, I'm he's going to be the next uh, Tiger Woods or he's going to be the next Tom Brady. He's going to be the next, you know, uh, Mike Trout or whatever it is. They have delusions of grandeur and they're going to make sure that kid does that. And you better not get in the way of that. That's when you see that someone's root is their planning. They have a destiny they think they have, and that, folks, is, can cause a lot of anger. So the result is they will use their anger to control others and try to overpower them to ensure their plans don't get messed up. So, for instance, use, just use the analogy The crazy parent in the stands that's cussing the air blue at the ump for missing a called strike or a ball or whatever, and he called the wrong thing on their kid. And then that parent turns and cusses out the umpire. They're using uh, anger to overpower or control that person. That's what's really happening because of their plans have been messed up. And so what's the truth in all of this? What's the biblical truth? about our plans well i can tell you this whatever you have planned for your life probably not going to happen it's probably delusions of grandeur of you not thinking in reality and i don't mean to step on anyone's dreams or plans but at the end of the day i know what the bible says we are to submit our plans to god and see whether or not our plans are according to his plans and his will because if they're not you're off target. I was off target. A lot of people are off target. They have this this mindset of what's going to happen to them and when then they get to middle age and their plans didn't go and then they have this middle age crisis so to speak where they they don't have a grip on reality because nothing they planned happened and for the foreseeable future nothing's really going to change. They're not going to be the millionaire they thought they were going to be. They're not going to be the inventor they thought. They're not going to be the pro golfer. They're not going to be this or that. And again, I'm not trying to squash anyone's plans or have, you know, uh, you know, an incentive and motivation to do well in life. But what we find out in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, it says this. Come now, you who say, today and tomorrow we will go to such and such uh, a city spend a year there buy and sell and make a profit and then it's it's kind of the idea that oh we have these plans and this is what we're going to do we got it all mapped out and this is the game plan and this and again it's not saying not to plan your life it's saying once you get your plan and you ha- you think you have a good plan verse 14 comes in whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow because you don't know the future you're arrogant to think that your plans are solid and that nothing can mess them up. And then he goes, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. He goes, you're not even here for very long. What, What are you thinking? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Did you catch that? You can make plans. But you must submit those plans to the Lord, and he has every right to change them at any point in time. He will redirect you. He will guide you. He will lead you. And what ends up happening? I can tell you what happens with this. God changes their plans because it's not the best plan for them. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what is best for us. He's a good father, and he knows the future. He knows, he has what we call middle knowledge. What that means is God knows all the hypothetical situations he could put us in and how we, we would react. He knows what would hurt us and what would help us. And so God, as a loving father, is going to put us on a path and a plan of his that does us the best good spiritually. But a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people have a hard time with that because their plans get disrupted, uh, whether by other people reality or God himself and he redirects you because it's not the best thing for you. And you know what? They not only get mad at people they get, and reality, they get mad at God. Why did you change my life in the direction I was going? I had a plan but now this happened and that happened and you allowed this and so they get really upset with God. They break fellowship with God. They're so mad. Um, and so at the end of the day the truth is we have to submit our plans before the lord if you do not and you hold on to your plans you will be a very angry individual because i can guarantee you whatever you had planned when you were 19 is not coming to fruition that was a 19 year old brain a 19 year old brain without a lot of spiritual maturity and that look what happened Now, do do some people get to live out dreams? Of course they do, but they're like less than 1%. But there's only one Tiger Woods. There's only one Michael Jordan. There's only one Tom Brady. And in the whole world of 7 billion people, okay? You have to come to, to grips with that. And at the end of the day, you have to accept the plan God has for you. And that acceptance takes away the anger.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study Podcast. We hope that this lesson is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has another podcast called Anchor Sunday Sermons, and it's filled with past and present messages in Revelation, Genesis, and Exodus. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode, or search your favorite podcast streaming services for The Anchor Sunday Sermons. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws nearer.